So all through life, she remembered later that there were times when her father woke them up, telling them it was time to move again. They would pack up their things, hitting the open road again. Every single thing they owned packed in the back of their car, soaring down bumpy roads at a whopping 25 miles an hour. She went to a little town in Arizona called Piaria, where she made a miles-long trek to the schoolhouse. Her overall schooling was brief and broken. I mean, she grew up with a job. There wasn't much room for something that seemed so frivolous as contractions. But when she came to this town, she went and she went to the little schoolhouse, Calvin had somehow made his way into her class, and she had a choice. Either walk him home or stay for the small amount of school that she could get. She decided on staying, realizing later that this was a good thing, for more than one reason. In the very same class, there was a scrawny little boy who later ended up becoming her husband. His name was Jake, and the next time they met was years later, when at a pool party, they reconnected through music. I'm your host, Sophia Johnson, and I'm here to bring to you the story of my great-grandmother, Modina Johnson, and all that happened in her life, and, at long last, bring to the world one of the most incredible stories that no one's ever heard of. They slowly began to fall in love, tying the knot after a year of dating, and were married on June 17, 1935. Jake had borrowed their friend Carrie's car, driving out on the lateral 21, parking in the early evening. He proposed, and she said yes, driving back home and getting into a fight with her parents about how late she'd stayed out. After her first marriage at 19, she no longer spoke to her parents, and instead found comfort in her new family, which began to grow only three months into the marriage. Tragedy struck one day when circumstances turned heavy, and she found herself in an overwhelming amount of pain, both physical and not. She had a miscarriage and was in bed for weeks, nearly dying. Jake was sent to a hospital himself with a kidney infection, and she was left without her beloved. There was no one to help her, not even a doctor, just her and the Lord. Her story could have ended there. She could have passed on and never had met my great-grandfather, and he could never have had his son, who never would have had his son, who never would have had me. But, miraculously, she survived. She and Jake, or JD as she called him, continued to live their lives, her working odd jobs and him doing his best as well to pull in money. They made new friends along the way, still finding music in their lives, even after everything that they went through. Let's take a little break. We're here now with Everett Johnson II, Modina's son, talking all about her life before his life began. Okay, so what can you tell us about her life before she had you? 
What I know was that they were what was called fruit tramps. They followed the crops, and they picked prunes, peaches, pears, cotton, whatever was、uh, at that time.、Mm-hmm. And they moved around a lot. And even though it was hard work, I think she liked the traveling and the playing guitar and singing.、Mm-hmm. She liked that always that I can remember. And her favorite, or my favorite, I should say, that she played was the Spanish fandango. <laughs>、uh, other than that.、Uh, I don't really know a lot、mm-hmm. about when she was younger, except that、uh, she learned and、um, liked to travel.、Her and her family no longer spoke nor saw each other after her marriage, and but when her beloved little brother Calvin came to visit, she's overjoyed. Talking for hours, she didn't realize that he wasn't allowed to leave, but he had anyway. She didn't find out until the next time she saw him, long after the fact that he had gotten home and was beaten into a bloody pulp. She had said that his mother hit him so hard she nearly passed out. Not too long after this, she found out that she was pregnant again. Only six months into her married life, but she's not disappointed. She's overjoyed. But amidst all the happiness, yet another tragedy shook the home. Jake was sick, and he would not recover. By the time the doctor was called, he was already terminal. On May seventeenth, nineteen thirty-six, Jake's condition grew worse. When the doctor came, he delivered the heart-wrenching news that Jake would not last ten days. She wrote that the way he was he went was pathetic, that he deserved so much more. But after that afternoon, there was not an hour after the doctor left. Everyone crowded into the house, but their condolences were not enough. The weather reflected the day's events. At 1:15, it poured on. She ran out into the rain, sobbing against a tree. No one came to console her. No one could. Her love was gone. When she had gotten married, her family no wanted any, no longer wanted anything to do with her. So, at five months pregnant, after just losing her husband, she was alone. She borrowed fifteen dollars from her brother Ralph to come out to California on a bus on May twenty ninth of that year, saying that she never forgot a debt. And over forty years later, she still remembered, proving this to be true. She had gone back home, reuniting with her parents, and there seemed to be not much to tell until the birth of her first baby, who she named after her late husband J.D. He was 21 months when she first met Everett, my great grandfather, who J.D. had picked out of a group of men sitting in front of her father's store, refusing to go to anyone else. 
She later officially met him through her friend Skinny Blystone, who later who was later married to Everett's brother. They hit it off, and five months later, they were married. Going into her second marriage a widow, barely into her 20s, Modina still had a lot to learn about life. She still went to campfire, she still sang songs, she still had a passion and energy that would never go away. But now, she had a baby bouncing on to the beat on one knee. She had a husband playing the guitar by her side. Instead of her birth family, she was now surrounded by her chosen family, going back to her little apartment on 12th Street every night rather than camping under the stars. As time went on, she had more and more children, totaling eight in all. J.D. grew and went into the Navy along with his younger brother, Henry. Jane and Joan, twins born at the eighth month, were told that they weren't going to survive, but both, over 20 years later, were married with their own children. Long before any of that, though, Modina lived in near constant fear of her life. Everett drank, making her feel as if her life was, quote, all in vain. In an excerpt of her book, it says, I was almost killed at Everett's hands many times. He seemed to want me dead. She even went on to describe how he had hit her in the head with tire tools on the car crank. But she survived. Every day she prayed that it would get better, but after many years, nothing ever changed. I waited 32 years, thinking every day there'd be a better day ahead. Nothing good ever came out of these years. One day, she left the house like any other. She walked down 12th Street, watching as the world went on around her. She stopped, turning. Picking up one foot, she placed it on a ledge, staring down into the depths of the American River. She has reddened it all. But, in the depths of the water, she saw the faces of her children, staring back up at her. She took a breath in, stepping back down. She walked all the way back home, from the northwest side to the Bell Avenue. And from that day on, she swore she would never do, do again do that for any man, no matter what. Time passed, and they ended up living in a trailer that Everett said was for him only. By her account, things weren't good, and one day Everett told J.D. that, Son, when your mother gets old enough, she's going her way and I'm going mine. On January 21st, 1971, it happened. She admitted that she hadn't taken him seriously until the day had come. Henry, her son, had given her a ride. And after a while, she found herself working in Sacramento, buying herself a 55 Plymouth Belderville, still owning it in 1981. She lived a happy life after Everett, taking care of a man named Toy Reed from Mississippi. She spent eight years like this, taking trips near and far all around until he passed away on March 21st, 1978 of heart failure. She went to the hospital on July 27, 1979, getting a pacemaker and being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and a pectic ulcer. Not long after, she met a man named John, who passed away as well. Finally, she met a new man who she never named, 
who lived out towards the Bay Area at the time she wrote her book. Over the better part of the 19th century, she lived her life as she wanted. She was fiercely independent, never let any person or thing stand in her way. She bent, but never broke. She compromised, but never conceded. She gave, but never went without. And most of all, she never lost herself. No one thinks I should live my life as I see it. I don't do anything wrong, but I have someone with me or nearby, as I am not a loner and never will be. I have been used to being with a lot of people, so therefore, I am not a loner. After learning about all this stuff about my grandmother, and even more about myself, there was one thing, well, <laughs> well, not one thing, there were many things that stood out to me about both her and myself, And but there was one thing that to this day I can't get out of my head. In all honesty, it may have been the reason that I made this podcast. About, I don't know, six months ago, I was over at my grandparents' house, my grandpa and I got to talking about my great-grandmother, his mom, Modena. He told me all these stories, but at the end, he told me something that I'd never heard before. And he was surprised, thinking it was crazy I'd heard all these stories, but not the one that connected me to her the most. He shook his head, turning, leaning in closer. He told me that the very first time he held me, when I was only days old, that I stopped crying, and that... He couldn't explain it. There wasn't anything about how I looked or the way he held me, but he stared me right in the face and told me that I was his mother reincarnated, that I was Modena. And I couldn't handle it. I thought, no, no, this is crazy. Why was I only hearing about this 14 years after the fact, but not the slightest deception or twinge of a lie in his eyes. He said that he saw me grow into the person that I am today and knew that it was true. And then with each passing day, he knew more and more that he was right, that I am her. And 
I am truly honored that I can make this podcast for her in her honor and tell the world about this amazing woman that touched so many people's lives, including mine in such an impactful way, even though I never knew her. All I can hope is that I give her the justice that she deserves in this podcast, and that this feeling that we will always be connected will never go away. But I know that it won't. Because no matter what, a little piece of her will always be with me.